Well, good morning. It's good to see everyone. This is the third Sunday uh, of Advent, and we're going to continue in our Advent series entitled A Christmas Carol. Now, you might recall the very first carol we looked at was uh, What Child Is This? And that's an appropriate question to ask uh, at Christmas, isn't it? And of course, that child uh, is our Savior. And that song identifies him as Christ the King, uh, the Messiah, uh, the long-awaited promised one of Israel. And then at the end, uh, the song encourages us and invites us to respond. And that response is in light of who this child is, uh, in light of our passage even today of Isaiah 53, that he is the suffering servant, the one who was born to give his life for you and for me, that we might have forgiveness of sin, that we might have new life in him and the promise of eternal life. In light of all that, what's our response? And our response should be nothing less than giving our very lives to him by acknowledging him, by receiving him into our heart, into our life as our Savior and as our Lord. And so that's the first carol we looked at. What child is this? And last week, uh, we looked at a carol that is different than most of the carols we sing. It has a a pretty somber mood to it, tone to it. O come, O come, Emmanuel. And of course, that carol um, really reflects on living in that in-between time between Christ's first coming and our awaiting his second coming. Uh, A time in which we live in a world that there's brokenness, there's disease, there's death, there's strife. Um, The world is crying out, looking for hope. And we, who celebrate his first advent, we look to his second advent. And we know that he's coming again. And and we, we cry out, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And uh, every bit of that uh, carol is designed to incline our hearts towards him in waiting, but not just waiting passively uh, as those who know him, those who live their lives in that time of waiting uh, as agents of uh, his hope uh, and his healing and his wholeness, as those who have been given a ministry uh, of reconciliation that, that we are to join Christ in his work in the world to bring reconciliation, um, not only people to God, but also people to people that were his agents, were agents and ambassadors of the Prince of Peace. And so while we wait anxiously and we look for the fulfillment uh, of all that has been promised and what has already begun, we also live for him uh, in the world. And so those are the first two carols. This week, uh, boy, you want to look at two carols that just in terms of their tempo and their tone uh, kind of juxtapose. You have over here last week, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And this week, we have a hymn um, from Charles Wesley, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Uh, it, I'm telling you, those are two completely uh, different tones as we sing them, aren't they? Um, 
But as we look at this particular carol, I want to begin by asking you a question. How many of you are familiar uh, with the Christmas classics that we watch on TV? Um, uh, the Grinch That Stole Christmas, right? How about a Christmas carol? How about the character of Ebenezer Scrooge? Okay, uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, right? Uh, where you have the humiliation of, of Rudolph and Herbie the Elf that wants to be a dentist. Rudolph has the red nose. Uh, and there's a storm that's unlike any storm, the storm of the century that comes to threaten Christmas. And if that's not enough, there's the abominable snow monster, right? Uh, and then how about It's a Wonderful Life, right? Uh, Mr. Potter and, and how his debt collection threatens uh, the celebration of Christmas in Bedford Falls, okay, the, the Jimmy Stewart uh, classic. Uh, all of those have a theme to them, aren't, don't they? Uh, there's a character or there's a situation, there, there's something afoot that, that threatens the celebration of Christmas. And of course, uh, all those stories have a happy ending. Uh, then in the end, those who threaten are converted or the situation that threatens uh, is averted and Christmas goes on and, and the characters all, all celebrate. Uh, often the story is a story of redemption uh, of those individuals in the midst of the crisis that they face. Well, the reason I bring those up is I want to ask you this question. Can you imagine Christmas without singing Christmas carols? Like, can you imagine that, Stephanie? Can you? No, of course not. Uh, can you imagine a, a Christmas where uh, the celebration of Christ's birth publicly was outlawed, forbidden, and anyone caught celebrating Christmas would be fined? Can you uh, imagine a Christmas where, where gatherings of people um, to celebrate would, would be uh, discouraged, where in fact the state would demand that on Christmas Day all businesses be open just as a demonstration that Christmas isn't celebrated. C can, you, can you imagine such a thing? Well, you don't have to go back very far in history to find uh, exactly that. And uh, this is the setting out of which Hark the Herald Angels is born, okay? You, you wonder why it's so celebratory and, and, I mean, it's such a grand and triumphant carol because it's born out of a time in history when literally Christmas had been outlawed. How many of you are familiar with that? Okay, one in the back. Okay. Um, well, let me give you some background. Uh, it was in 1649 when Parliament in Britain, which at that time was largely dominated uh, by Puritans, and under the leadership of Oliver Cromwell, they officially banned Christmas. It was thought that 
the celebration of Christmas was uh, ungodly, that it promoted people to make too much merry, and that uh, the celebrations, the song, the food, the libation that went along with the celebration was all thought to be um, just something that didn't honor God. And so these Puritan believers that dominated Parliament in England uh, in the mid-1600s, they banned Christmas. Now, what was going on in the colonies at the same time? Uh, Did you know that between 1659 and 1681 that Christmas was outlawed in Boston? In fact, anyone caught celebrating Christmas was fined five shillings. That's the equivalent today of 40 cents. Okay? That was quite a hefty fine in those days. Uh, And that there were uh, those who were paid, they were called criers, like the town crier. They would walk through and announce news and things. And they were paid to walk through the streets of Boston saying, no Christmas, no Christmas, no Christmas. Yes, even in the colonies, and particularly in Boston, Christmas was banned. Well, in 1822, later on, as Christmas is uh, gaining some traction in the colonies, the post office lobbied the federal government once again uh, to prohibit the sending of Christmas cards and notes through the mail because it just created too much work and, and they couldn't handle it all. Amazing, okay? Well, finally, uh, in the late 1600s, uh, in England... Uh, The previous ruling by Parliament was overruled and Christmas was celebrated again, okay? Yet even though it was beginning to be celebrated again, there was a time in which the writing of Christmas carols had basically come to a standstill. Earlier, in the mid to late 1600s, since there was no celebration, people actually stopped writing Christmas carols. And even after Christmas was reinstated, uh, the writing was very, very slow. And it's this hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, um, was one of the first grand carols to be written after this period. Okay? And so Charles Wesley uh, writes uh, this hymn. Now, the original title or line to the song, we're familiar with Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It was written, Hark how all the welkins ring. Did you know that? Hark Hark how all the welkins ring. Glory to the King of Kings. That's the original opening to the carol. Now, You're all wondering what a welkin is, aren't you? Ah, well, if you are brushing up on your old English, you King James scholars, you, okay? Uh, A welkin 
uh, is Old English, and it roughly translates into a vault of heaven. And, and so literally what, what he's saying is, hark or listen to how, like a vault, all of heaven opens up with the riches and the glory of praise to God. Okay, that's literally what Wesley wrote. Uh, and then glory to the King of Kings. Now, Wesley had a contemporary, uh, 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 another uh, well-known person during that period of time. And his name was George Whitfield. And George Whitfield was a very, very famous preacher in England. Uh, he was an evangelistic preacher. He had a very powerful ministry. He was very well known. And he and Wesley were roughly contemporaries. And it was during this time, uh, actually in 1753, Wesley published this in 1739. But less than two decades later, in uh, 1753, Whitfield says, you know, Charles, uh, this is good, but it's a little awkward. Let me change it for you a little bit here. And uh, Whitfield rewrites the opening stanza in the beginning, and he says, Hark the herald angels sing, glory to uh, the newborn king. All right? Now, the music that the lyric was put to, well, originally, Wesley thought that this song needed to have a very somber, kind of very... Um, uh, religious, thoughtful, very slow tone to it. And originally, do you know that in the five, uh, in the five uh, stanzas that the original came in that Wesley wrote, it was a very slow, somber melody to the song. Well, there was a person named Felix Mendelssohn. You're familiar with him? He uh, wrote music, and he was a Messianic Jew, okay? He was a Jew who believed that Jesus was Messiah. And in 1840, he wrote uh, a cantata to commemorate Johann Gutenberg's invention of the printing press. And he wrote this cantata to commemorate that. And in the, the second stanza, basically, there's a melody, a part of the katata, that Dr. Um, William Cummings in 1856 decided, you know what, the lyrics to this song are so grand, the music is too somber, and what he did was what Mendelssohn, going to his deathbed, said, I never want done. Wesley's gone. Mendelssohn's gone. What does Cummings do? Well, he takes the music from the cantata, which, by the way, Mendelssohn said, I never, ever, ever, ever want this music used for sacred purposes. It's only for secular purpose. Okay? And Cummings takes the lyric from Wesley and the music from Mendelssohn, 
and he brings them together. And now you have what we know is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Okay? Isn't that interesting? Man, that history is rich. Now, as I said, originally there were five stanzas to it. Um, Whitfield not only changed the opening, he took the two stanzas that Wesley had written and he combined them into one. And so most of the time you'll sing either three and very rarely sometimes there's a fourth that is sung, which is a combination of the fourth and the fifth that Wesley originally wrote. Now, let's get in a little bit to the, the hymn itself, okay? Or the carol itself. Um, Hark how all the welkins ring, you know, referring to the vault of heaven. If I were going to really, um, if I were going to say something about this hymn, it's that it is rich with theology. If you're a theologian, if you're a student of Scripture, man, this is the hymn for you. Literally, uh, every line of every verse, of every stanza, uh, you could take and, and look at at least one, sometimes several scriptures that apply to it. And of course, Charles and his brother John Wesley, uh, they were also theologians. Uh, and this song is rich. And so when I think about how all the vaults of heaven ring, it's like, man, all the vaults of heaven ring with Scripture in this carol. And so what I'm going to do is say, I mean, to present it to you, to do justice to it, I just have to present it to you kind of the way it is, okay? And I'm just going to go through some of the scriptures and some of the, um, the lyric to the song and, and put them together so you can see how rich this is. So let's begin. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. Of course, we're familiar with Luke 2, 13 through 14. Suddenly a great host of angels appeared, uh, appeared with angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace on those on whom his favor rests. Then it goes on. God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. With what angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. But we celebrate. Why? Because God and sinner are reconciled. Very similar to that very first carol we looked at. What child is this? He's our Savior. And our only response is to give our lives to Him in worship to invite Him into our hearts, to allow Him to sit on the throne of our, of our hearts, to be our King, our Savior, our Lord. And so look at 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 19. All this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us, I referred to this earlier, didn't I? The ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. Then we, we get to the, the second stanza. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Matthew 1.20 after, this is the angel speaking to Joseph, 
Uh, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And then it continues, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, John 1.14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Pleased is man with man to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. Of course, Isaiah 7.14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Now we get to the third stanza. Mild he lays his glory by, Born that man no more shall die. You know, Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. O death, where is your sting? O death, where is your victory? But death has been swallowed up, right? Swallowed up in the victory that Christ won on the cross. That the resurrection that Jesus experienced is the promise that we hold on to. It's a promise of our own. That death cannot hold us. Okay? That, that sin and its penalty death have been defeated by Christ's work on the cross, His resurrection from the dead. And so Jesus, talking um, after the death of Lazarus, says this. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you hear that? I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Okay? I'm the resurrection and the life, Jesus claims. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. First uh, John 5 1. There is a, a sermon that was written in a form of a letter by Charles Wesley. And, and in it, he takes this passage and really expounds upon the necessity of what it means to be uh, born spiritually. All right? Uh, Jesus said uh, to Nicodemus, you must be born again. There must be a, a spiritual regeneration that takes place in the lives of those who, who come in faith to Christ and the work of that regeneration, God, in, in our lives. And this is the verse he used from 1 John 5.1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, that there's a spiritual birth, there's a transformation, there's a regeneration that takes place. Uh, in the covenant church, um, and if you're interested... In this little pamphlet, it's out by the doors as you leave. You can pick one up. It's called, What Does the Covenant Church Believe? A Brief Look at Covenant Affirmations. Basically, there are six covenant affirmations. Uh, 
And uh, these are the non-negotiables. I mean, these are the things we really affirm. Uh, and the second one is we affirm the necessity of the new birth. I'm going to read you what this says. It says, the Apostle Paul wrote, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The new birth in Christ means committing ourselves to Him and receiving forgiveness, acceptance, and eternal life. It means being alive in Christ. And by the way, if you're not alive in Christ, you're dead in sin. Okay? Did I say that S word? But that's why we hark the herald angels sing, right? That's because our Savior's been born. And we don't have to pay the penalty for our sin. Jesus has come and He did it for us. So, it means being alive in Christ, dead to sin, alive in Christ. And this life has the qualities of love and righteousness, of joy and peace. New birth is only the beginning. Growing to maturity in Christ is a lifelong process for both individuals and communities of believers. That'd be us. God forms and transforms us. And it is through people transformed by Christ that God transforms the world. Okay? Covenant affirmation. So we'd agree the necessity of new birth, of the second birth, as, as uh, Wesley would say. But then he continues, risen with healing in his wings, light and life to all he brings. Hail the son of righteousness. Hail the heaven-born prince of peace. Um, Malachi, by the way, he's not the first Italian prophet, okay? Someone told me that's what they thought it was. Um, Malachi 4.2 But for you who reserve my name, the Son of Righteousness, you see that's right in the song here, right in the carol, will rise with healing in its rays and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. This is a part of a prophecy. The first part is, is for those who don't believe who, who, who aren't looking to the coming of the Messiah, who don't receive their Messiah, when that day comes, there will be judgment. But, this is the second part of that prophecy, for those who do believe, for those who are anticipating, for those who are looking forward to the Messiah's coming, uh, this is what it, it says. But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. That's healing in His wings, right? And we'll and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. In other words, you're no longer going to be bound and fenced in spiritually. You're going to be set free. And that's their way. So you're going to go out like frolic, like well-fed calves. Okay? It's a prophecy. It's a messianic prophecy. And then John 8, 12, where it says, Light of life to all he brings. Jesus says... Um, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Okay? Jesus is the light of the world. Now we get into the, the two lost uh, stanzas to the song, right? those that were combined by Whitfield into one. Come, desire of nations, come, 
Fix in us thy humble home. Again, a messianic prophecy to those who are looking forward to the coming of the Messiah and the gathering of the nations. Okay? Haggai 2.7 I will shake all the nations and what is desired by all the nations will come and I will fill his house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. Okay? And we look and we see that day in Revelation when people from every tribe, tongue, and nation are gathered around the throne of the Lamb. Okay? Rise the woman's conquering seed, bruise in us the serpent's head. Genesis 3.15. Now, this is right after the fall. God is, is already putting a plan in place to redeem fallen humanity, okay? Um, to restore and, and to eliminate the effects of sin. And here in Genesis 3.15, it says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, speaking to the serpent, right? Satan. And between your offspring and hers, he, speaking of Christ, okay, will crush your head. Christ will have the ultimate victory. And you will strike his heel. Of course, we read about that, didn't we? The suffering servant. The attempt of Satan to thwart God's plan of salvation. And all hell was unleashed upon the Son of God. But he was triumphant. Okay? And then Paul says it this way, for that to be lived out in our lives in a victorious and powerful way, Romans 6.20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Okay, there's a, uh, what's a song, a youth group song we used to sing years ago with that, that in it, okay? Um, the work of Christ in us, that we are a part of his work, and we are his people, and we are engaged, and he's working out his plan in us and through us. All of it will lead, right? to that fulfillment of what he said in Genesis 3.15. The serpent will be crushed. Now display the saving power. Ruin nature, now restore. Now in mystic union join thine to ours and ours to thine. That's that mystical union. John 17.22-23. I have given them the glory that you gave me, Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, speaking to the Father, that they might be one as we are one. All right? That's his prayer for us. That we might be one, even as God and the Son are one. I in them and you in me, so that they might be brought to complete unity. Remember, unity isn't something we create Unity is something that's already been given to us. It's ours to preserve. And that unity is a unity that's given to us that comes down from the Godhead, from the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, co-eternal, co-equal, co-powerful, three distinct persons, yet one God. Okay? And that very unity is given to us. And we are, are joined into the fellowship of the triune God. Isn't that amazing? And he calls us to preserve it. Well, here it is. So that they may be brought to complete unity, 
then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. How will the world know that God sent the Son? By the witness of our unity because it's so supernatural. It's so unworldly. It's only possible through the work of God. And that's our testimony and our witness to the world. Our unity. Amazing, isn't it? It's all in this song. It's good stuff. And then finally, um, uh, the last stanza, last, last section of the song. Adam's likeness, lordy face, stamp thy image in its place. Second Adam from above, reinstate us in thy love. Okay? So Christ in Scripture is referred to the second Adam. The first Adam, right? Through him sin enters the world and there's death. But Jesus, the second Adam, enters the world and there's life. Now look at this passage. 1 Corinthians 15, 21-22. Since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ will all be made alive. Okay? We're dead to sin. We're made alive in Christ. And then finally... Let us thee, though lost, regain thee, the life, the inner man. Oh, that all thyself impart, formed in each believing heart. That we are conformed daily to the image of Christ, our Savior. Let's see the verse there, Romans eight twenty nine. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed as you and me, conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That word firstborn doesn't mean that, like, you know, He was born. He wasn't. It, it refers to His position. The firstborn has the, what? The position that is above the rest. And that's His position. He is above all. And He is above us, right? But we are made and conformed into His image um, through God's ongoing work in us through the Holy Spirit. Okay, wow. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? So when you, when you sing these carols, and in this one in particular, I mean, my goodness, they are just steeped in the Scriptures. And often we can get up, we can stand, we can sing these words. We don't even know what they mean. or We don't know the Scripture that's underneath them, right? We're singing something, and our singing is an affirmation of that, but what is it that we're affirming? And that's why this morning as we look at Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Wesley's response coming out of a, a period of time in which Christmas was literally banned, right? That the Scriptures attest to the glory of God manifested through His Son. And that we sing about that, that we affirm that, that we celebrate that. And even though Wesley said, this needs to be somber, put to very kind of just quiet religious music, 
I'm grateful that Dr. Cummings kind of violated Mendelssohn's request and took Wesley's hymn that had already been changed by his buddy Whitfield and gave us this great proclamation of faith and hark the herald angels sing. Amen? 